Hello, and welcome to On Tap, a theater and performance studies podcast. I am Panel Camp of Washington University in St. Louis. I am joined, as always, by my dynamic, generous, wonderful co-hosts, uh, uh, namely Sarah Bae Jung of Bowdoin College. Sarah, are you feeling dynamic, generous, and wonderful, or whatever I was saying? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I've, I usually benefit from from lower expectations. Um, I, we're headed into the last week of camp of classes, so I'm just, I'm just hanging yeah. on for dear life. <laughs> you're, re- you're reminding me of something my sister said over Thanksgiving break, which I think is a great one-liner, which is that when expert, when expectations are low, that's my time to shine. Amen. And we are joined also by Harvey Young of Boston University. Harvey, uh, how many boxes can you tick dynamic, generous, wonderful today? All of them. You know why? Because this is our award special uh, podcast. So I'm as excited as can be. And if I could be wearing a tux, if I owned a tux, uh, I'd be wearing it right now. But I'm in awards happiness glow right now. If that that, that's so unfortunate, Harvey, because clearly Panel and I are also in our, t- are already in our tuxes. So it's really unfortunate that you've shown up so poorly, poorly dressed for Very our casual. show. Very casual. I didn't know, you know, I didn't realize you hadn't gotten the message. Why don't I, I'll edit this out and um, we can make sure that all the listeners know that Harvey is also wearing a tux just like Sarah and me. <laughs> so this edition of the podcast as uh, uh, people have already gathered is a special one, a special format. We are dedicating this recording of the podcast to ASTER, the American Society for Theater Research, specifically its 2018 conference meeting, which was a unique one, a special one. Um, uh, later in the in this uh, podcast recording, we are going to basically perform the function of the awards ceremony that could not be held in its um, proper majesty in San Diego this year. We have the list of awardees, and we've looked at some of the awardees, and we're going to make sure that everyone gets some sort of recognition in audio downloadable format. Um, and before that, we'll talk a little bit about the conference meeting itself. Um, how the decision was made, what precisely happened at the Astor Forum, um, and a little bit about what the the outlook might be for the organization um, because of the way that the conference unfolded this year. So first of all, why don't we start off just by explaining um, what happened with the Astor Conference this year. Um, There was a hotel union workers strike at the Westin San Diego gas lamp. Um, This strike began October 8th, and the conference planners, the Astor leadership, was watching this very closely, realizing that it was going to be a major problem um, to try to hold the conference at a hotel where workers were on strike. Um, As the conference got closer, the uh, leadership and the conference planners were monitoring it. Um, And finally, on Wednesday, November 7th, a week before the first day of the conference, the strike was still happening. um, And the leadership had no choice but to officially cancel and announce the cancellation of the conference on Thursday, November 8th. Even though they were forced to do that, they knew that it was possible that the strike would resolve itself between then and when the conference did happen uh, or was planned to uh, originally scheduled to happen. And the strike did indeed 
um, resolve itself on Saturday, November 10th. Um, but uh, subsequent communications from the striking workers themselves made it clear that the added pressure that the organization brought to bear by canceling this um, this arrangement with the Weston and the Marriott Group more broadly absolutely helped resolve the strike in the favor of the workers. Um, but the, the, the conference itself was canceled. What happened in its place um, was what is now known as the Esther Forum. Uh, so some space was reserved at UCSD, La Jolla, um, many of the uh, many Astor members who had planned to attend the conference um, attended this forum. There were some sessions, some research was shared. Sarah is going to tell us a bit about what that was about. Uh, but we understand that around 150 people made their way to San Diego and um, met and, and participated in the forum. Um, Sarah, you were there. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like in San Diego under these unusual circumstances? Yeah. So, I mean, f- first, just in the in the interest of, of full disclosure, so um, uh, I attended this Aster as an incoming member of the executive committee, but I wasn't privy to or part of the discussions um, leading up to uh, the decision to cancel and, and how to handle that. Um, what I will say is that having been a part of discussions at the meetings that happened in San Diego, um, you know, I, I really, my heart goes out to the officers and the conference planners um, and the other executive committee members who were faced with this incredibly stressful and um, uh, really unusual situation, and I think uh, did as best they could to kind of handle it. Um, I think that there is uh, a lot of awareness on the part of the organization for how this cancellation impacted uh, the membership, particularly members uh, who do not receive robust institutional support, um, whether they be graduate students, contingent faculty, or you know, uh, uh, full-time faculty who just don't have the same kinds of resources. I think everybody in one way or another ended up kind of taking a hit on this. And so I just, you know, it was such an amazingly uh, organized conference and planned conference. It was, I think the best indication is that it was one to be, going to be among, if not the largest ever. Um, and and so there's there's a lot of regret on that part. Um, the forum itself was was um, you know a real testament to the kind of ingenuity and had a a little bit of a like let's put on a show in the barn kind of feel to it. Um, it was very much improvised in very limited space. Um, it's it, it, I don't know that more people could have been accommodated, but there were a few working sessions um, that were able to happen and and some really nice gatherings and a, and a real spirit of, of generosity and, and goodwill among the people who were there. And, and also, I know a number of working groups who found ways to have virtual meetings and and sort of long distance connections in lieu of, of an in-person working group session. Um, at a at a conference proper, so it was, you know, that was really there was there was kind of a a, a little bit of a you know a, a joyful feeling among the the people who were able to make it there. That was at the same time, I think, tempered with a, a sense of melancholy in awareness of our colleagues who couldn't be there, um, and and the loss of the of the conference itself. I, you know, the the forum was was great for what it was, but it was nowhere near what you know, a full engaged conference would have been. And, and so it was, you know, there were certainly some bright moments and, and I, I, I really appreciated the, 
the ingenuity and the and the willingness. And also a special thanks to UC San Diego for for coming up with you know uh, space for us um, at at the very last minute. But um, but but you know but but not the but not the real thing and uh, and and really and and just an unfortunate and and some real hard decisions. You know. Did um, in terms of the meetings that happened, you mentioned some of the working sessions went ahead. Um, I, I, you know, followed on social media people who were attending. It seemed like maybe there were some combined working sessions. Did was there anything in particular that happened to share the any plenary talks that were available or curated sessions or any of the other programming? Can you give us a sense of what you know what different types of meetings happened? Uh, my my understanding uh, was no. So most of the most of the kind of plenaries or the the kind of you know big all conference events um, uh, you know really really didn't happen. Um, the and the working sessions were were often significantly smaller than had been originally planned. So the uh, a few that I sat in on, um, you know, I think had maybe half to a third of the original. Um, you know, participants. Um, it was really, uh, you know, trying to to kind of, you know, make the best use of the time for the folks who were able to be out there. Uh, so, I mean, it, a lot of things did have a kind of improvised quality, but, but the, the you know, certainly the discussions I attended were were really lovely. And in, and in fact, there was a, um, you know, the award ceremony uh, didn't really happen as such, um, but there was a gathering. Uh, it was outside. Um, uh, there was a kind of recognition of of, of the award recipients and um, and a really powerful and very moving statement by one of the um, by one of the hotel workers who came and, and addressed that group and 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 thanking Astor for its its principled stance and you know for sure this is going to have an impact on on the insti- you know on the organization but um, but there was a real that was a real moment of of generosity so it was a you know, it was it, 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 for what it could be. I thought I thought people did you know really embraced it with generosity and enthusiasm and collaboration, and so I think it really highlighted some of the best qualities in our in in our profession and in our field. Um, and I just I just am, am deeply regretful that that we weren't able to to you know have the have the conference as planned because there there really was a real loss there. Yeah. I, I would encourage people to look at the conference program. I believe that's online and available so that you can see how many people were going to participate, how much research was going to be shared, all of the amazing work that Kirsten Pulla and Kristen Essen and Chase Bryn-Gardner, um, including, of course, Jill Stevenson and um, all of the organizational leadership, all of that work was ready to go. Um, and wasn't able to happen, but you can really see the evidence of it in the conference program, and that's worth doing. Um, one thing I'll say is that Aster members can help the organization by um, donating their fees. Um, if, if they pre-registered for the conference, um, they can still let the organization have those monies, and they can also donate. Now, this is more difficult for some folks than others, but if you're a you know full-time professor, tenured, tenure stream, you have money from your institution to um, support these organizations, I'd say it's a good idea to do that. I, I think it's not known what the financial impact 
of this decision will be on the organization, but it's likely to be substantial. Um, the The organization chose to refund um, registration fees to the members, and that means a massive part of the um, organization's operating expenses are having to be refunded back to members. But um, we can do things by giving money to the organization to, to help it absorb whatever the financial impact is of this decision. And just a reminder that that donations, including if you select to donate your conference registration fee or if you make additional um, uh, donations in another capacity, um, are tax deductible. So even if it's if it, even if it's donating your your registration fee that you already paid and you sort of decline the refund or you designate to donate the what would have been a refund, that because because the conference didn't happen, that is now tax deductible and you will receive. Um, uh, documentation to that effect. There's also a, a number of people working very hard behind the scenes at what we all know is is for many of us a very difficult time in our semester or our quarters um, to, to ensure that people who need specific types of documentation um, in order to get reimbursed from their institutions receive those. And that's you know that's a process that can't really be automated, and and so there's a there's a lot of kind of labor hours happening, and and you know I, I all I would say is like I would encourage people to be patient um, with the process. Like people are really truly trying to do the best they can under under difficult circumstances. Indeed, indeed. Shifting hats and putting on my 2019 Aster Conference co-chairs hat, I can say. Plans for the 2019 conference are underway with Gusto. We're very excited to to plan a fantastic 2019 conference in Arlington near Washington, D.C. next year. Um, the call for that conference, Theaters Many Publics, um, is up on the Aster webpage, and the deadlines are announced, and um, we are very excited to, to organize the next big meeting of this association. And, and, and if I can just uh, add to this conversation, as a person who has planned many a conference you know, for both ASTR and ATHA, obviously, and other uh, associations, uh, as you just heard with panel, what the panel just said, conference planning begins quite early. It's often more than a year in advance of the conference. Uh, you identify the location, the venue, the hotel. You start making plans. Uh, so there's a lot of energy. A lot of hours are put into sort of realizing uh, an idea, you know, and then creating an experience for people. Uh, so uh, when you uh, cancel a conference, you know, it's not an easy decision because there's a lot of hours and labor and indeed there's money that's been put up uh, uh, to reserve spaces and catering and room blocks and stuff like that. Um, you know, so at any point in time, uh, the, 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 in a way the easy decision is to, is to say, let's go forward with the conference because of so much work's been done. but. The hard decision, the really principal decision, um, you, know, you know, which I think was taken here, was to say that, you know, even as we acknowledge the, the labor that we've put in, you know, that we want to acknowledge and value uh, the importance of labor and, and, and proper labor practices at large, you know, so we're not going to put our members, uh, at least ASTR members, uh, you know, at the point of having to cross picket lines, you know, and I think that is worthwhile. And I, and I don't have any sort of official role uh, in this year's or even last year's administration within ASTR, uh, but I just know from wearing my own ATHA hat that, you know, it's, it's a tough call. Those are some hard decisions. Those are tough decisions to make, um, you know, 
but I acknowledge the labor, I acknowledge the, the sacrifice, I acknowledge the disappointment people felt, but I also think that people should feel proud uh, of the organization for, uh, for taking a stand, uh, for siding with sound, proper labor practices, um, you know, for Absolutely. realizing that they might take a hit institutionally, you know, but they are doing so by, by acting in a proper and ethical way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now, listeners, a little bit of theater of the mind. You're in a big hotel ballroom. You're sitting at a circular table with about four or five hundred other people. That not is one that, large circular n- table. N- not at that table. <laughs> no, listen. Let's say for listen. It's theater of the mind. Let's say it's I'm, one gigantic. I'm, I'm, hey, circular go for the impossible theater, right? I mean, like, yes, it's, it's a it's a giant circular table with four hundred of your best friends. I love this image. So we're basically talking about like a. 100 foot diameter table with 400 people around it. Love it. And in the center of that table, there is a dais. And on that dais is Harvey Young (laughs) and panel cam. Um, No, this is difficult because one of the things I'm realizing talking about this is that awards ceremony, it's not just the awards and what's announced, and it's also not just the business meeting where they chain the doors and no one can leave, Um, but it's also the ceremonial functions of the organization. So there was a changeover in in the presidency of the organization from Daphne Lay to Marla Carlson. Um, Jill Stevenson uh, has ended her term as VP for conference planning, um, succeeded by Jimmy Noriega. Can you imagine the round of applause that Jill Stevenson would have gotten in that room if the whole membership was there? So what we're about to do here, listeners, is to, is to in an inadequate and incomplete fashion, give you the awardees, try to, you know, fill in for what was lost at that uh, award ceremony, but we're going to miss things. We're going to get it wrong. And um, we're in no way uh, completely making up for what was lost but nonetheless actually this might be better this might yeah. you never know like in this, harvey you're not in supposed a to say that. parallel universe it's like you know the pinnacle of award perfection could be a podcast um, uh, update and review of winners hey, listen you know parallel i'm all in favor of some, of some, of some <laughs> online conferencing um However, back to the theater of the mind. Gigantic <laughs> circular table, strange circular dais in the middle of the table. Um, you've got a, a salad. There's some mixed greens. There's a vinaigrette on the, on there. There's a roll. There's some rolls, but the rolls are like ten seats down in one direction, and the butter. There's only two butter dishes on the table. The butter's twenty seats in the other direction. But it is ex- an exquisitely detailed carvings of some kind of uh, yeah. fantasy animal. Yes. Yes. This these butter. Um, uh, globs are shaped into animal shapes. Um, Unicorns. They're room temperature, so you can just spread that right on that roll. So good. And we begin with the awards presentations. The first award to be acknowledged this year is the Co-Sponsored Events Award. Um, This is a an event that is not Aster itself, that Aster co-sponsors. And this year, that event was the fourth symposium on doctoral programs in theater and performance studies, which was held October 5th and 6th, 2018 at Tufts University. We've talked about this fabulous event, very important to the profession um, already on a prior podcast. Congratulations to Noe Montez, um, Charlie Canning, Esther Kim Lee, Sarah Warner, and the other people who participated in that event. Harvey. Yes, uh, and ASTR gives out an annual community engagement award, uh, which recognizes local community organizations of the cities where the conference is hosted. Um, and this year, the award went to Moxie Theater from San Diego. 
Next award is the Jose Esteban Munoz Targeted Research Working Session Award, um, given each year uh, to a group. Uh, the uh, aim of the award is to support, promote, and feature the production of research by and about people of color at Aster, with particular emphasis on intersectional work uh, that attends to and includes LGBTQIA, disability communities, and scholars without uh, regularized institutional support. Uh, this year, the award, um, uh, the working session, uh, went to um, Dominique uh, Laster, uh, Amy Branzel, and Hillary Cooperman uh, for their work on disidentifying borders, coalitional futurity, and migration. Each year, Aster also awards grants for researchers with heavy teaching loads. The goal of this award is to ensure that institutional affiliation does not hinder the contributions of individual faculty to, debate, to debates that concern us all and are central to Aster's mission of cultivating scholarship. In practical terms, this provides research support, travel support, research materials, etc. Um, and this year, that grant has been awarded to Stephanie Jones of the Grad Center at CUNY, and it is going to go towards her work on a book project called Everyone's a Little Bit Racist, Liberal Anti-Racisms, the Broadway Class, and Racial Capitalism at the Turn of the Millennium. So congratulations to Stephanie Jones. Excellent. Uh, and ASDR offers the Collaborative Research Award, uh, and the purpose of that award is to foster the exchange of research across different academic and community contexts within the U.S. or between U.S. scholars, artists, and those abroad, uh, and to foster long-term relationships benefiting faculty who work in different types of institutional uh, settings. Um, you know, so this year the award went to uh, April Sizemore Barber from Georgetown University and Carla Lever uh, from University of Cape Town uh, for their project Social Removements, Disruptive Decoloniality in South African and American Protest and Performance. So congratulations, April and Carla. The next award uh, is the Helen Kirch Chinoy Dissertation Awards. Um, the goal of this um, award um, is to uh, support uh, researchers um, in their in their dissertations. Um, uh, it can take the form of, of funding for travel or research materials. Um, this year, uh, the recipients for this award um, were Casey Tova Markinson of Northwestern University uh, for Entrance Forbidden to the Yiddish Theaters, Performance, Prostitution, and Protest in Latin America, 1900 to 1939. Ali Reza um, Mirzajadi, apologies for mispronunciation there, of Tufts University, Directing Between the Lines, Contemporary Iranian Theater and the Aesthetics of ambigu Ambiguity. Uh, Christopher Rodello of Harvard University, uh, a historical study of Latinx performance in the transnational 19th century. Congratulations to the three of them. Indeed. Aster also awards research fellowships each year, and those fellowships are to underwrite some of the research expenses of scholars undertaking projects significant to the field. This year, those fellowships are awarded to Meredith Conti of the University of Buffalo State University, University at Buffalo State University of New York, for Gunpowder Plots, A Cultural History of Firearms and the American Theater, and to Jessica Nakamura, University of California, Santa Barbara, for her project, Genealogies of the Private on the Public Stage. Congratulations to Meredith and Jessica. Excellent. And it's good to see the University of Buffalo, one of my alma maters, uh, represented there. Uh, and speaking of the U UB, you know, the Bulls, Go Bulls, sort of sweeping these awards, uh, the Targeted Research Fellowships. 
uh, offered by ASTR, which is uh, it, it aims to support specific projects by scholars working in, uh, in areas important to the mission of the organization that are that are currently underrepresented in its various activities. And the award went to Ariel Nearson uh, from the University of Buffalo. I'll tell you, sweep, go Bulls! Um, you know, for her project, dancing between concert and commercial stages, risk, reward, and racial politics. And also Lisa Jackson Shabetta from the University of Pittsburgh for performance and peacemaking in contemporary Columbia. And the Brooks McNamara Publication Subvention Award uh, supports the cost of securing rights to reproduce illustrations for publication, costs of acquiring illustrations, and or the cost of reproducing illustrations in conjunction with a book under contract for publication. Um, this year's recipients uh, for this award were E.J. Westlake of the University of Michigan. Um, uh, and I'm so sorry, can someone else read the title of E.J.'s uh, book project? Because the... Somehow the translation from from got. Oh yeah, sure. It's eloquent. Eloquent as well as you'd edit this panel. It's it's eloquent. Let's say it at the same time. One, two, three. Eloquent. No, it's it's eloquent. right? I'm gonna go with Harvey there. Okay, eloquent. Thank you. It. I'm just getting a bunch of confused symbols. The fluctuating. Yeah. So it's eloquent. Wait. Eloquent. The function uh, the fluctuating movement of the postcolonial sign. Uh, that's um, is out with Southern Illinois University Press. So apologies, EJ. Um, and the next of uh, is Kate Bredesen of Reed University, um, whose book uh, was just published. It's occupying the stage, the theater of May '68, uh, that came out with uh, Northwestern University Press. Congratulations to EJ and Kate. Next up is the Thomas Marshall Graduate Student Awards. I um, won that award. Well, many, Harvey, many, many years ago. Harvey, that's great. <laughs> Otherwise did. known as the Harvey Young Legacy Award. Well, yes. At, at this point in the dinner, let's just say that your, your, your chicken has I've, arrived. I've had too much wine. It's so Harvey's, good at this, at this award <laughs> ceremony dinner. Harvey's really afternoon. making a mess. Although <laughs> I think my pronunciation of El Guiguen is... Um, was probably the low point in the award ceremony to this point. Um, uh, but listen, your chicken is there. It's warm. It's good. There's some carrots. We're talking about a julienne. There's probably some mashed potatoes or some sort of starch there. You're psyched. You're ready for these awards to keep going, though. The purpose of the Thomas Marshall Graduate Student Awards is to encourage students to become active members of the society by helping them meet some of the expenses of attending the Astor Annual Meeting. Um, there were many uh, applicants this year and many deserving people, but only three could be selected. Um, and those three are Lillian Lugo Herrera of the University of Miami, who is was presenting virtual bodies and archives in Caridad Svich's Antagony Arche. Um, Mohamed Reza Babi of Bowling Green State University unpacked refugee baggage performing racial mobility. Uh, apologies for that uh, almost certainly wrong pronunciation of, of that name. And finally, Jessica Watkin, University of Toronto for losing and loving the fury of becoming the monster in Alex Bulmer's smudge. Congratulations to those three graduate students. All right, David Keller Travel Awards. Uh, the purpose of the David Travel, uh, the purpose of the David Keller Travel Awards is to encourage untenured scholars with terminal degrees to become active members of the society by helping them to meet the expenses of attending the ASTR annual meeting. Uh, and this year's winners were um, uh, Arum Zhang um, uh, from the Asia Culture Research Institute of Korea, 
uh, for her project, uh, K-Pop Stream Like You Breathe. Errol Lane from the University of Buffalo. Uh, again, the sweep, go Bulls. Uh, the Integrated Spectator Theater Audiences and Pedagogy and AOE Stratford from Cornell University, also one of my alma maters, uh, reopening Sarah Kane's Chamber of Horrors Blasted as Gothic Drama. Congratulations, all. So, th- so the key to everyone listening, if you'd like to... Uh, to win an award next year is to find some kind of tangential connection to Harvey Young, because clearly I'm, I'm detecting a theme. And um, All right, our next one is Selma Jean Cohen Conference Presentation Award, uh, an award that provides a scholar the opportunity to participate in a plenary working session at the Astor Conference. This presentation must, in the spirit of Selma Jean Cohen, explore the intersections of theater and dance movement. The purpose of the award is to encourage scholars in dance and movement-based fields to become active members of Aster by helping them meet the travel and hotel expenses of attending and presenting at the annual meeting. This year's award uh, recipient was Diren Borisa of uh, Jawaharlal, I'm so sorry, um, Nehru University uh, for the project Queer Desires and Dancing in Delhi, Performing Bodies and Redrawing of Selves. Next, we have the Cambridge University Press Prize, um, a newly constituted award funded by Cambridge University Press and administered by the American Society for Theater Research. I believe this is for an outstanding plenary presentation. Um, at the previous year's conference, if I'm not mistaken. At the mistaken. previous year's conference, absolutely. And this year, the Cambridge University Press Prize goes to Will Daddario, um, an independent scholar, for his presentation, Kent Monkman, Epistemological Hacking and the Grimace of Queer Theory. Um, if you were lucky enough to see this presentation, it's fabulous. Kent Monkman's work is amazing. Um, it, uh, Will's paper looks at the sort of multimedia installation that Monkman presents, um, recasting various movements in avant-garde aesthetics as patients in a hospital um, being attended to by uh, Monkman's persona. Um, and it is uh, fabulous and hopefully destined for, for publication soon. Um, so congratulations to Will Daddario. Yes, uh, and I now have the honor to present uh, the honorable mention uh, recipients of the Gerald Cahan Award for Best Essay in Theater Studies by a Newer Scholar. Uh, and they are Matthew Franks from U- University of Warwick for Laboratory Library Database, London's Avant-Garde Drama Society's and Ephemeral Repertoire, which was published in Modernism and Modernity uh, in September 2017. Uh, and congrats uh, to the editors of that issue, Deborah Ray Cohen and Christopher Bush, uh, and the other um, uh, co-honorable uh, honorable award recipient, uh, honorable mention recipient rather, is Julia Jarko from New York University uh, for Cold Theory, Cruel Theater, Staging the Death Drive with Lee Edelman and Hedda Gabler, which was published in Critical Inquiry uh, in autumn 2017, and that was edited by WT, WJT Mitchell. Congratulations. Those are both fabulous essays, by the way. I had read them completely unrelated to the awards reading, and they're they're just they're really exciting, fun, uh, enjoyable scholarship to read. Um, I have the pleasure of uh, announcing uh, the recipient of the Gerald Cahan Award for Best Essay in Theater Studies by a Newer Scholar. Um, This is the uh, annual award for the best essay written and published in English in a refereed scholarly journal that can be on any subject in theater research broadly construed. This year went to John McNeil Miller uh, and his essay, When Drama Went to the Dogs or Staging Otherness in the Animal Melodrama, published in PMLA in 2017, um, edited by Wei Chi Dimock. 
Um, and this, uh, if I can just say a couple things about about this this essay. Um, so what 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 Miller writes about is um, is animal studies and drama, and he looks particularly at the the historical introduction of animals in uh, melodrama specifically, and what function they played, and also uh, the critical reception, and and really also the 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 popularity um, and the ubiquity of animals in that in that context. Um, again, in nineteenth century melodrama, and then and then sort of looking at the backlash and the legacy of that backlash, which was to more or less erase and overlook this history. Um, and so it's partly a project that is about recovering uh, what's happening in that era and and approaching that, but it's also about thinking it through in, in other ways, which is uh, engaging with this idea of, um, you know, what function did the animals have? And he comes to some really interesting conclusions um, about uh, what function the animals performed um, beyond simply their their presence on on stage in the in service to particular plots, and in fact, he notes that that the, their specific tricks were um, written to be integrated into plots as they existed. But he comes to to some really interesting conclusions, um, namely that the sort of super or other human perception of animals was directly related to melodrama's engagement with the metaphysical and an understanding of a world beyond what was immediately apprehendable. Um, anyway, very engaging, well-written essay. Um, congratulations to, to Miller for, for outstanding work and, and the recipient of this prize. And the Oscar Brockett Essay Prize. Uh, the Oscar G. Brockett Essay Prize is jointly awarded by ASTR and the Oscar G. Brockett Center for Theater History and Criticism at the University of Texas, Austin. And the prize recognizes the best essay written and published in English in a referee journal uh, or volume published by a scholarly press and relating to any subject in theater research broadly construed. Uh, this year's winner of the Oscar G. Brockett Essay Prize uh, is Diana Lucer from Stanford University uh, for her article, Viewing Time and the Other, Visualizing Cross-Cultural and Trans-Temporal Encounters in Lisa Rehana's In Pursuit of Venus Infected, which is the title of the installation. Uh, that was that essay, the article appeared in Theater Journal in December 2017 and was edited by Joanne Tompkins uh, and co-edited by Jen Parker Starbuck. Uh, and just a few comments on that article, which was extraordinary. Uh, what Diana does in, in, in this article uh, uh, is uh, she looks at Lisa Rehana's um, um, digital installation, which is this sort of staggering 64-minute, four-channel synchronized multi-screen video installation that essentially challenges and retells, um, you know, the uh, experience of the arrival and, and, and the funeral of, of Cook, um, you know, in the Pacific, and and doing so actually contrasts um, and and sort of offers a different sort of a more of a sort of uh, uh, indigenous perspective on um, on colonialism, basically, uh, and it's staggering. So what she argues within this article is she says that what new media can do is it can challenge and reposition the colonial gaze, presenting nuanced and empowering images of Pacific peoples, um, you know, that frequently have been, and here I'm no longer paraphrasing, no, no longer quoting, you know, that have that have frequently been distorted within past accounts. Um, so what she does is she looks at this 18th century uh, sort of long mural that then became, became essentially wallpaper, um, uh, but it built as the savages of the Pacific, and how Lisa's work in the 20th century, actually, because it creates opportunity for us, to, in the 21st century, to create opportunity for us to us uh, to rethink and challenge and revise these past assumptions of sort of stereotypical, stereotypical treatments of indigenous Pacific Islanders. So it's a wonderful piece. I encourage you to check it out. 
Next up, we have the Sally Baines Publication Prize. Um, this award is given in even-numbered years. The prize honors the publication of a book or an essay that is, in the opinion of the prize committee, uh, the best one that explores the intersections of theater and dance movement in the previous two calendars, calendar years. Honorable mention for the Sally Baines Publication Prize this year goes to Rebecca J. Cowell, Randy Martin, and Gerald Sigmund, editors of the Oxford Handbook of Dance and Politics, Oxford University Press, 2017. And the Sally Baines Publication Prize goes to Judith Hamera of Princeton University for Unfinished Business, Michael Jackson, Detroit, and the Figural Economy of American Deindustrialization, Oxford University Press, 2017. Quick note um, on on Judith Mara's uh, excellent book, which which incidentally also won the uh, Atha Outstanding Book Award uh, this past summer of 2018. Hamera's um, uh, book is is really um, a, a kind of extraordinary uh, achievement, both in in terms of looking backwards, in terms of the the history, and 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 putting different elements um, of this period of American history um, and. In conversation, so looking at the intersection of, of Michael Jackson, but also uh, uh, Detroit and the economics of both Jackson's career and Detroit uh, Detroit's transition over the over roughly the same the same period of time. She she breaks the book really productively into into well, I would say three parts. There's kind of two major parts. Part one is Michael Jackson's spectacular deindustriality, um, and it sort of looks at the labor of Michael Jackson's performance and performances as, as a singer, uh, as a dancer, and also as a, a kind of public figure and public icon, and how he negotiated that over the course of, a, of an incredibly varied and, and uh, tumultuous career. Um, the second is, part two, is Detroit's deindustrial home places. Um, uh, so one of those chapters is titled Combustible Hopes on the National Stage, Figuring Race, Work, and Home in, quote unquote, in parenthetically in quotes, not necessarily Detroit. Um, and also then looking at the contemporary argument around Detroit's kind of uh, up, up from the ashes emerging um, narrative and the kind of recovering of the of the city. Um, but for me, really one of the most interesting parts of this this book, and, and you need to read the first two parts in order to appreciate it, but is to look at the coda in which um, Hamera really, I think, very bravely and imaginatively and rigorously works through our contemporary moment um, at the intersection of racial politics, economic uh, uh, anxiety and how dance and theater performance figure within our understanding of that, um, and it's perhaps one of the most. Uh, and I, you know, I've read a lot about what's going on in kind of contemporary America at the moment, and and this is probably one of the most compelling um, uh, analyses of that, and 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 certainly the the most interesting one in terms of putting theater and performance and, and dance studies really at the core. Uh, of how to make sense of, of this weird uh, time that we're all living in right now. So I, I think it's just a, a really wonderful book, and congratulations to, to her for that outstanding work and recognition. Uh, and the Errol Hill Award. Uh, the Errol Hill Award is given in recognition of outstanding scholarship in African-American theater, drama, and or performance studies, as demonstrated in the form of a published book-length project, monograph, or essay collection, or a scholarly article. 
um, you know, and the book or article must have been published during the previous calendar year, 2016, uh, for the 2017 award, uh, 2017 for 2018 award, and so on. Uh, and the deal and deal with African American theater history, dramatic literature, performance studies, uh, which includes research on dance, acting, and directing um, public performance uh, such as parades and pageants, etc. And what's really interesting about the Errol Hill Award is that. Uh, as far as I know in the history of the award, uh, only uh, one article uh, has, has won the award, um, and that was uh, uh, Jill Lane's Blackface Cuba, and then in, previously it's been books. This year is the second time in the history of the award uh, that the award went to an article, uh, which was Kellen Hawksworth's, Hawksworth's uh, Dartmouth, from Dartmouth College, The Many Racial Effigies of Sarah Bartman, which was published in Theater Survey uh, September 2017, and it's extraordinary article, uh, if you, like me, are a person who's, you know, sort of consumed as much as you can about Sarah Bartman, uh, you might be like, what, what new, what, 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 what else can be said about Sarah Bartman? Uh, and what Kellen does is offers, A, a corrective sort of critical history here in terms of uh, very gently revises the scholarship and doesn't sort of call people for being wrong, but just kind of, you know, gently corrects them uh, in terms of talking about the, the manner in which Bartman performed and appeared. Uh, uh, you know, in public, uh, going through the, the, the court cases uh, in which Spartman's voice, uh, as, tra as, as transcribed and edited by others, appears there. Uh, and most importantly, um, what happens within this article is that Bartman is rescued from being uh, a, a blank canvas upon which ideas of blackness are projected. Uh, mm -hmm. And instead, uh, what Hawksworth does is to talk about how you know, if we don't limit Bartman as being, you know, a screen upon which we sort of, you know, map our sense of blackness, we can actually, we can actually like explore and critically analyze, uh, you know, her positionality as an individual, right? And therefore to see her status as a koi koi woman and therefore tap into ideas of indigeneity uh, relating to uh, South Africa at this time period. And that's extraordinary. So he rescues Bartman and, and, and offers a spotlight for her and for the field uh, to engage with her as a person uh, in a very dynamic way. So congratulations. So at this point in the award ceremony, there's a dessert coming. <laughs> I'm thinking it's a cheesecake and there's a kind of raspberry sauce drizzled on it. And, and let's You're, just, you know, remind everyone that there, you know, there are also in the theater of the mind vegetarian and, and vegan options, right, among it, the, the chicken and cheesecake, so. It could be. <laughs> we wouldn't want anyone meat. to feel that they were somehow, you know, being excluded from the imaginary banquet. Absolutely. It is a vegan cheesecake, but it is the best cheesecake of any category that you've ever tried. You get this dessert in front of you. You can't believe how good it is. There's a carafe of piping hot decaf being passed around the t around the table. There are 500 people sitting at the table, so it's not going to get to you for a while. But you don't care. That cheesecake's good. These awards are good. <laughs> These presenters are excellent. They're wearing tuxes, and we're about to close in on the final, <laughs> very exciting awards. Um, Sarah, would you like to take the next award, please? Yes. So our next award is the Barnard Hewitt Award. Uh, the this award is given every year for outstanding research in theater history to the best book in theater history or cognate disciplines published during the previous calendar year. Uh, the University of Illinois, Illinois initiated the award many years ago to honor its founding department chair, Barnard Hewitt. 
And this year, the honorable mention uh, uh, recipient for this award is Catherine A. Zine of McGill University for her book, Sovereign Acts, Performing Race, Space, and Belonging in Panama and the Canal Zone. That came out with Rutgers University Press in 2017. Panel? Yes, and I have the honor of announcing the winner of the Barnard Hewitt Award for this year. Um, This year, that prize goes to Heather Nathans of Tufts University for her book, Hideous Characters and Beautiful Pagans, Performing Jewish Identity on the Antebellum American Stage, University of Michigan Press, 2017. Um, I am in possession of a text written by Bill Condy, who was on the committee for this award, and I will read that at this time. In Hideous Characters and Beautiful Pagans, Performing Jewish Identity on the Antebellum American Stage, Heather S. Nathans offers us a uniquely original analysis of the roles played by Jewish Americans on stage and off in constructing the broader American identity. Her interdisciplinary study incorporates legal, immigration, and gender issues to provide profound insights that challenge previously held models. Avoiding quick assumptions, Nathan's interrogates issues of identity, confronts complications and intersections, and provides conclusions that are based on understandings of Jewish identities on American soil that are both detailed and broad. The committee congratulates Professor Nathan's on her outstanding contribution to theater scholarship. And I, panel camp, would also like to say this is a fabulous book. Um, It is, uh, it reminds me of other big, monograph contributions to early American theater history that I came across uh, during my time in graduate school studying with Don Wilmoth. Um, the the early American theater history phase, you know, pre-Civil War or pre-20th century is still relatively um, uh, unknown, and there's a lot of great historical research to do, but it's difficult research. Um, and uh, Heather Nathans has just done an incredible job synthesizing information from a variety of archives. The the um, the knowledge that she must have gained of the early American theater repertory and early American theater history is really jaw-dropping. Um, so the book, as as Bill Condy's uh, text signifies, um, is looks at various different themes in the way that Jewish Americans are represented um, in in early American theater history. She also focuses, Nathan's does, on um, Jewish audiences, which, as she points out, um, were not a large proportion of the population of the United States uh, before the Civil War, but nonetheless are represented and and, um, spoken of in review texts and in a variety of different archival documents. So this is a fantastic book and a great contribution to the field. So congratulations to Heather Nathans. And and really, before we make the announcement of the last award, uh, you know, a congratulations um, and 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 an apology, right, to to all of the recipients. Uh, you know, receiving one of these awards is really um, such a such a highlight. And for most of us, you know, it doesn't happen very often, if at all. And so I I just want to take a moment to recognize the the loss of not being able to stand up and accept a plaque in public and to the the applause of your peers and the admiration of the field. And so, you know, if you can sort of accept with your virtual cheesecake also, you know, just our tremendous uh, respect and and admiration and and just how impressed like we three co-hosts of the podcast are um, as a as a, you know, paltry proxy for the field at large, right? You know, I think we stand in metonomically for for a larger 
field of recognition and that and that these are really outstanding outstanding work um, among among you know a field that is really growing in in size and significance um, and and certainly the award research but also the the working groups in the conference planning really testified to that as well so um, it's 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 a it's regrettable that we have to do it in this fashion but but to whatever extent our enthusiasms can fill that gap please please let them do so indeed and i'd also like to say before this uh announcing this final award that uh we owe a debt of gratitude to patricia herrera um who i believe her title is vice president for awards at at aster for all of the different committees that adjudicated these awards and made these tough decisions reading lots of articles uh, vetting a lots of lots of proposals reading books um their work is also in this format hard to see but uh we all acknowledge it thank you to Patricia Herrera um, and to all the members of the of the committees that decided these awards. We will wrap up this year and this um, uh, fantasy awards ceremony experience with the Distinguished Scholar Award. The Distinguished Scholar Award is given each year to a scholar whose body of work has made a significant contribution to the field of theater, dance, opera, and or performance studies. The three immediately immediately previous Distinguished Scholar Award winners will consider the candidates and they are the ones who select the recipient. This year, the Distinguished Scholar Award goes to Eleanor Fuchs of the Yale School of Drama. Yay! Yeah, a well, uh, a, a well-earned, uh, deserved honor, and and really, you know, sort of uh, makes it quite a year for 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 Eleanor, given that she also received the Lifetime Achievement Award from Atha last um, last summer. So it's I'm I'm sort of reminded of it's it's all I don't think we quite have the the mechanisms for a hat trick in this field, but it's a little <laughs> bit like the, like that year that you know um, Bob yeah. Fosse won the the Tony, the Grammy, the Emmy, and the Oscar, right? In like the same kind of award cycle yeah. um, for different projects. Anyway, so so congratulations to to Eleanor. I know that that there were many. Uh, uh, members of Aster who are really enthusiastic about this announcement, and um, and really sorry not to be able to 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 see her speech um, at the award ceremony and to congratulate her in person. Yes, and and, and for you know, listeners who uh, may or may not be familiar with Eleanor, um, you know, just uh, she is a force, a titan in our field, um, a person who has an intellect that is is deep. It's massively capacious. It's inspiring. It's it's awe striking. In fact, uh, she is generous uh, as a teacher. Um, she is a person whose students, uh, and, and I was never one of her students, but uh, but I've spoken to with many of her former students who are always impressed by how much time she set aside to be a, a mentor. And she's a person who has made our field better uh, in every way, as a teacher, as a scholar, as a person who has served uh, in a variety of capacities. Indeed. And you are probably aware of her as a visit to a small planet, which is an indispensable teaching tool for um, students learning how to read plays and learning how to interpret plays. And of course, her, her major book, um, the, the Death of Character, Reflections on Theater After Modernism, um, and many other books and much other scholarly publication. So congratulations to Professor Fuchs. Harvey, Sarah, we did it. Um, let's round out this episode with our drafts. Um, uh, regular listeners to the podcast know that our drafts are, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a pun with like a draft you would have at a pub, right? It's on tap. Um, what's on tap is our 
our, our brain fermentation and the drafts are just a little pull off the top of the barrel. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, uh, Harvey, do you want to you want to start us off with your draft I, this year? I this really month? don't have much of one right now. Uh, okay, well, sir, Harvey, you'll go last. Yes. You, can, you can think on you can think on your feet. Sarah, what have, what have you got? Har- Harvey's the, the like the suds. Um, I'm also just, I'm really hoping that some sound effects of like cheering or you know fireworks can be you know included here. Yeah, I wouldn't count on it. Okay, um, my 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 draft is uh, so. You know, uh, as is true for many of us, right, we're kind of getting into the nitty gritty of the semester and it just seems like I am on a grading treadmill that will never end. Um, but um, when I have a moment to myself, which is not many, um, I've been super pleased to be reading the newest um, issue of Contemporary Theater Review, um, volume 28, issue three. That is a, a special issue on um, Feminisms Now, edited by Sarah Gorman, um, Geraldine, Jerry Harris, and Jen Harvey. Um, and in particular, I would, I, you know, I think the whole thing is fabulous, but the essay that I've been, um, I, I, I enjoyed particularly in this is um, Jessica Del Vecchio's um, essay, Not Just This Girl Theater, Half Straddles Feminine Aesthetics Come of Age. And this is about uh, Tina Satter and, and Half Straddle Theater in New York, a kind of downtown avant-garde company um, that Satter formed um, when um, she was in the uh, MEA, uh, MFA at, um, at Brooklyn College and, uh, and, has be- and is really a kind of feminist and also feminine uh, antidote to a lot of downtown uh, avant-garde New York theater. And the way that Del Vecchio kind of works through Satter's work, I, I think, is really lovely. It's an incredibly engaging essay and a, and a great... Um, a great reminder that that the avant-garde is so often tinged with uh, like a kind of masculinist or you know uh, sort of mas- explicitly masculine kind of butch aesthetics. This is really a, a kind of fun counterpoint to that, and just a, just a great essay in a, in what is a really wonderful issue. So thanks and congratulations to all of them for for just a really wonderful piece of scholarship that is a nice you know like mental palate cleanser between the essays and the final projects and all of that for me. Thank you, Sarah. My draft this month um, is in, in counterpoint to Sarah's very generous reference to the work of others. I'm going to do some log rolling for the podcast itself. Um, I'm excited to announce that in February, um, Sarah and Harvey and I will be recording the podcast at Brown University, specifically as part of the meeting of the 2019 Conference for Research on Choreographic Interfaces. This is being organized by Sydney Skybetter and Kiri Miller at Brown. It looks like it's going to be a fantastic symposium. It will, I am told, include a screening of Minority Report, the uh, Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise movie, which has some very distinctive and memorable choreographic uh, performance in it. Um, lots of swiping and twisting and, and gesturing. Um, we're very excited to be a part of that, and um, listeners can look forward to that recording being released in late February. Um, and if you're in the New, Eng- New England area or nearby, you should you should come to Brown and, and attend the attend the conference. Is it is it swipe right that you like things or swipe left? You're t- talking about an app that I've never used. I right? I know, but I'm trying to I'm trying to I, I was I was going to jump in with like 
yeah. on tap podcast, swipe right. But then I thought maybe that's the rejecting <laughs> wow. version. So I like I couldn't think if you were I, if you wanted I, to swipe swipe us the good way. I right? think either way. I think either way it's wrong. What you could say is is on tap podcast. Do the little like rotating of your fingertips mo- motion that Tom Cruise does. Yeah, you're right. That's much. That's much pithier. Sorry, I, I don't know why I didn't jump right to that one, panel. So, so this may not qualify as a draft because it's. I just thought of it this morning. Uh, you're driving in. It's after Thanksgiving, uh, so you know Christmas tunes are on the radio, right? Theater of the mind. Christmas Theater songs of the mind. here and there. Uh, and I and I was reading an article. I think it was yesterday. You know, saying that some. Um, it happens every year, but this is the first time I know that. You know, sort of holiday theme stations, which is whatever your sort of local station is, that's you know often quite popular. That plays tends to classical tunes, um, like classic rock. Usually, you know, at, you know for like a month, it becomes just like Christmas songs for for like three weeks on end. Um, but a number of radio stations have been pressured to remove Santa Baby, say Santa Santa Baby, uh, from mm-hmm. uh, their broadcast uh, in light of Me Too. Uh, and sexual harassment concerns and the sense that the song itself was co- contributing toward uh, and was emblematic of an earlier mindset of rape culture being okay, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about, um, you know, how people are receiving this call to sort of pull, um, you know, a piece of, of work, a piece of art uh, that uh, no longer aligns and perhaps never should have aligned uh, with uh, with the mores of the moment or the mores of society. So I'm interested in that in, in terms of like how do people take something that they think of as tradition, uh, mm-hmm. even if it you know, is a tradition that seems to promote and encourage um, unethical behavior, right? And immoral behavior. Uh, so, that, so that's something I find interesting, that, that sense of the, the struggle that people have between their sense of it's familiar to me because I've heard it for years throughout my whole life, uh, and then the sense of, oh, do I actually want the next generation to be singing these words for the next 30 years? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, a big issue of the time and around other holiday-oriented pieces of culture. I'm, I'm reminded of a recent article, a review of um, the Nutcracker production that I think is being staged at um, the, I, I guess it's the Met or Lincoln Center, and efforts by the artistic team to sort of tone down the orient, the Orientalism that's always been a part of that very beloved piece of um, Christmas theater and performance and ballet. Um, and what are the things that we can revise and change up and recontextualize, reformat, and what are the things that maybe we just don't we just don't do anymore? Well, and, and a reminder that this is not just an, an American issue, right? I uh, Over Thanksgiving, I was uh, very privileged to, to be able to go to Utrecht University and hear the defense of a, of a wonderful uh, project by Evelyn Wan called um, Clocked, right, um, about uh, technochrono biopower uh, and, uh, and wearable technologies and how those are affecting us. Just a great, great project. Um, but of course, it was also the uh, the era of Sinterklaas, and so you had Sinterklaas, and you also had um, Svarte Piet or Black Piet, and so there's a tradition of performing uh, this character uh, in in blackface, and and it's you know it's been kind of contested, and every year the whole thing comes up of you know maybe we should stop this, and and it's it's always interesting to be in in someone else's cultural quandary uh, and experiencing that sort of in the moment, but not not necessarily knowing how to how to respond so so yes i think i think and and particularly around the holidays uh, you know that ha- that are as harvey says laden with tradition and also associations of childhood yes. 
um, uh, become become really interesting questions. Sarah, Harvey, thank you. Listeners, thank you for downloading, streaming, and have a great holiday season. Yes, happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, etc. And um, we'll have another podcast for you in the new year. 2019. 2019, right around the corner. On Tap is supported by the Performing Arts Department at Washington University in St. Louis and its master's program in theater and performance studies. You can find us on the web at ontappod.com. Email us at hosts at ontappod.com. You can find us on Facebook, search for On Tap, and on Twitter at ontappodcast.